Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, here's someone you'll want to hear out. Christian Jewell is the global CEO of WPP's Group M, and he has some big ideas about what next looks like for a giant global media agency network needing some rewiring. Christian was the global boss at Essence, the renowned digital media agency whose flagship worldwide client was Google when WPP's Group M acquired the agency in 2015. Four years later, Christian was appointed worldwide CEO of the mothership and has been pretty progressive and provocative ever since. He told Campaign UK last November that Group M, and I quote, wasn't a great place to work a year and a half ago, although he may now wish he'd used the word tough. We might hear from him on that front. But you get the sense Christian's thinking very, very differently to a legacy media agency boss. In a telling line again from campaign, Christian said, and I quote, five years from now, if I'm successful, Group M will look more like a software company than it will a media agency. They're all clues his new star recruit and incoming Group ANZ CEO Amy Buchanan will no doubt be pondering for her post-gardening leave arrival in October. We should get to that shortly too. But there's some other really interesting things firing Christian's neurons. Despite his close ties with Google as Essence Media's biggest client, Christian was pretty blunt and public late last year when he said advertisers needed to apply hitherto unheard of KPIs and metrics before allocating their budgets to the likes of Google and Facebook. Cost per impressions needed to be augmented by measuring cost per social contribution and building in a media campaign's carbon footprint. New tools are needed, he says, to help marketers get visibility on the ethical, environmental and moral consequences of the media they buy. It's not perhaps traditional media agency territory, but that's the idea if you're trying to reinvent a company. Christian's views, though, are similar to those espoused recently in MI3 by Telstra CMO Jeremy Nicholas, who says the media and agency supply chain would ultimately need to have a net zero carbon plan in place to transact with Telstra and other major advertisers here and globally, although Nicholas didn't put a time frame on it. Christian actually went a little further. In a LinkedIn post late last year, he said advertisers needed to support publishers that reach more diverse audiences, even if those publishers don't have the detailed audience data that advertisers have become used to. We need to do this with more than the usual 10% experimental budget, he wrote. So enough from me. Let's get into this conversation. Welcome, Christian Jewell, from the other side of the planet, and thanks for the time. Let's start with a couple of your obvious pearlers. When you said Group M will look more like a software company than it will a media agency, what did you mean? And welcome uh, to Christian. Thanks for joining. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. It's exciting to uh, be with you. I'll be, albeit I can't be there in person. Well, it was nearly going to happen, wasn't it? You nearly were going to come down. I, you know, I'm waiting for my invitation, a firm invitation, knowing that I'll be welcomed at the gates, vaccine card in hand, and um, I, I'm there. I can give you the invitation. I'm not sure you'll get through the gates. That's the problem. But anyway, enough of that. Group M uh, will look more like a, a software company, a really interesting um, sort of one-liner, but there's, there's a lot in that. Sure. Well, look, I mean, I think most people who are listening to this have probably seen the changes that have happened in our industry. And we know that you know, budgets are you know 50% plus in digital these days. We know a lot of where those dollars are going. And we know that in order to be effective in those areas, you, you've got to have strong capabilities in data and technology and systems. And if you look at that, you know, the types of skill sets that we need and the type of people that we need are those that think in, in dot revisions. 
So, you know, we're creating systems and processes that are much like a software company would think. Um, and I think that if you look out five, 10 years from now, you'll see more automation, you'll see more technology, and you'll even see our traditional television partners adopting a lot of the same types of um, systems and buying platforms that we see now in the digital realm. How radical, though, um, is that is that change, Christian? Is it is it evolution, or are we at a point now where it needs to be a little bit more intense than that? You know, I would say it's evolution. I think one of the greatest strengths that Group M has is our capability and scale, our you know ability to to project large scale brand advertising through linear on a global basis, and then augmenting that into you know the digital world and using those skill sets to help our supply side modernize and, and adopt the same sort of principles. So for me, it's, it's evolutionary. You know, we hold on to our strengths and then we add on to these other areas that are, you know, purely digital. What, what sort of functions are, are you talking about, say, in, in, a, in an, a media agency that won't be there in five years' time and new functions that will be? I guess there's a lot of stuff that still goes on that's quite manual, right? Um, uh, order insertions and all those things that go on. But uh, what, what, what won't be there and what will be there in, in, in your vision? Well, I think the basic skill sets will remain. I think the way we execute those will change. You know, you're right. Depending on where you're at in the world, there's still some people that are, you know, using very manual processes to create insertion orders or change orders or optimization campaigns. And, and sadly, in many cases, you know, there's not even an, optim an opportunity to optimize. So, you know, I think that the way this, th those things are done is going to change. And I think a lot of them will require, you know, a very strong fluency in technology and in systems and in, in consoles, if you will. And I think that that's probably the way things are going to move. And, you know, Group M, we've been retraining and we've been, you know, working with our partners to make sure that we have the most fit for purpose systems, processes and partners to help us um, make that migration. When you talk about how much technology and tools can deliver this deliver this future versus um, you know new skill sets and capabilities and new types of people and roles, Christian, uh, what is you're talking about retraining? But how much is a brand new sort of skill set that needs to come in versus the ability to to reframe and retrain the talent you've got and the, and the systems you've got? What's the balance there? Well, if you take Essence, you know something obviously you touched on in my introduction. I mean, at Essence. We had a very strong programmatic capability, probably the leading analytics and data-based media company in the world. And what we're able to do is make that acquisition at the Group M level. And then if you look at how that talent has migrated into Group M, I mean, one of the our, our head of activation and programmatic in the United States now runs Access in the United States for, for Group M across all the brands. And I think you'll see us continue to make acquisitions where you know we can bring in expertise. WPP just acquired an AI company that will help us you know, expand our knowledge in AI. And those people will act as catalysts for change within the organization, much like Essence act, acted like a catalyst for change within Group M. And so I don't think it's a, you know, a we're going to discard these people and, you know, go hire all of these people. Um, you know, sadly, the state of our industry right now in talent is that, you know, everybody's running at high attrition rates and there's massive open roles everywhere as we've rebounded from 2020. So I think, you know, it's incumbent upon us as as Group M to be able to make sure that we provide opportunity for all of our employees and that, you know, training and change is something that's welcomed and not seen as uh, scary. This just sort of uh, 
go backwards a little bit, but the essence of essence before it was WPP, in terms of what it was, the, the, the headcount, the automation, the technology it was using, how many people drove essence versus perhaps what's in a traditional media agency might give us an idea of what you're talking about here is is was it a was it a smaller ratio if you like you know it's hard because i think the work is different so i don't know that i have a perfect answer for you in that you know i think we took there's some examples that are really easy to point to so we did a, a search campaign that we're able to use automation and technology and you know we would go in on pitches and say what used to take seven people seven days we've got one person doing in about 10 seconds so, you know, those types of things can be dramatic. And, mm. you know, as we look at how we automate all the different aspects of search, and I think that sort of automation will continue. And that's, you know, kind of been widely adopted at this point. So everybody's got that game. Um, so I think you'll see some of those types of things that will continue to be automated and, and the, the human capital deployed to, to be successful and that will be reduced. The second you do that, though, you find different places to put that human capital. So we're starting to think about how we do different experiments, how we think about creativity, how you deal with some of the harder problems, honestly, in advertising right now, personalization, retargeting, you know, what's the effective amount of, of brand reach, what's the effective amount of, of retargeting and, and frequency, and you start running experiments. So I wouldn't say it's a reduction in, in people. I think it's how you use those people to become a much smarter marketer. But as a software company, Christian, and I recall a, a, a an, an infographic, a telling infographic a couple of years ago done, it's old data now, maybe two or three years old, but it had the the comparisons of uh, people per $10 million of revenue, and it compared some, com- some companies like Macy's and WPP. Macy's was about 50 or 60 people per, t- per $10 million of revenue. WPP was sort of up there, upwards of 60, where Facebook and Google, Facebook was about eight, and Google was about 12. So if you talk about becoming a software company, there's there's some really there's some big differences in the numbers there and that's why I guess I ask you know, ultimately more uh, you know this 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 talent this talent pool and the, the tension between talent and technology ultimately you'll get closer to those numbers than you will the old WPP number I assume Christian you know I still think we're going to be a services company I just think the way we're going to operate will look more like a software company so while I'm you know cautious on some of those economics I think that um it's more of a reference to the way we think about using technology. And in essence, when we were doing that, not to keep referencing you know, the, the former company, but when we saw a problem in marketing, the first thing that we did was talk to our engineering and technology team and said, is there something we can do here in a technology way to solve this? Is there a way to create a script or what? These weren't necessarily always heavy technology projects. I mean, sometimes it was, you know, honestly, a, a systems analyst or a systems engineer that would come in and be able to write something for us that could just do something it was different. I actually remember a pitch. This is a good story. It was a pitch for a um, online reservation company in the UK. And we were actually pitching at the time against one of the Group M companies. We were still kind of separate within Group M, but separate. And I was at the Exco later and we ended up winning the client. But one of the things that we did is go in and we just wrote a small script to query their online reservation system to look for all the openings that they would have for reservations. And then we started to think about how we could use technology to target those specific openings at a specific point in time. So mm-hmm. we you know, change the frequency of the advertising or the reach depending on where they had their largest vacancies. Um, we wrote that script, it ran in a couple hours, we had all the information we needed. One of our other agencies within Group M took 30 interns and had them go through the entire site and actually look for every single opening and pull it into an Excel sheet, manually move it over. It's not hard technology. It's just a different way of thinking. 
And yeah. I, I think that's the type of systems thinking we'd like to bring into the organization on a more holistic basis. And I guess the more you show your people and your teams that's how it can be done, you would expect they would adapt to that and embrace it. That's, that's the hope, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think it's a mindset. And I, I think technology is something that shouldn't be feared. I don't think, you know, I mean, even the very questions we're going to hear, oh, does that mean end of jobs? Does that mean we're going to change the way we think? Does that mean we don't solve strategic problems? You know, those are all questions of, of a little bit of defense in my mind. And I think for us, it's about how do we accelerate? How do we get rid of the things that could be done in a much more routine basis and reapply ourselves towards the harder problems of marketing? How do we help our clients grow? What do we think about creativity? How do we use purposeful targeting? You know, how do we think about ethics and and how do we think about responsible journalism and how are we supporting a healthy ecosystem of, of content around the world? And you know, those are the exciting things that I think Group M are tackling in the future. Heaven forbid a journalist being half glass full, but in the, the sort of the context of that question wasn't necessarily defensive. It's more is as much about how do people in the in the industry need to be thinking about reworking their own skill sets and capabilities because there will be differences. I think a really interesting point came from Jack Myers out of New York, um, a media ecologist, talks about his forecast that seventy five percent of all media transactions by twenty twenty five would be automated and ninety percent informed by machine learning and AI. He says we're already there now. It's, we're three, four years ahead of sh- schedule, and that a lot of it, a lot of this, twenty-five percent be relationship based, uh, and that's that's it. After that, it's kind of it's technology and automation uh, to do it. Um, that is quite, you know, if we're there now. Um, well, he says the US is there now anyway. Um, that is still significant sort of change on what people have done, people in the industry have done, and how they've done things. And I guess that's where it was coming from. That question. No, I understand that, and I think. That's right, but the execution of actually placing media has, has, you know, I think everybody would agree that'll be 100% automated in short order. I think the negotiation for it, how you deploy your scale, how you think about how you're going to, you know, extract value on the supply side and apply that value to your clients and your portfolio on a global on a global basis. Um, I don't think there's nearly enough focus in our industry right now on analytics, measurement, and optimization, and what that's really going to look like. And then tying that into the creative side of the business, I mean, there is, you know, exponentially more work to be done in those areas than there is on, you know, the actual buying of media. Um, buying of media will probably become as simple as buying a stock on, you know, any one of your online platforms that you use right now. Uh, with the exception, as you know, as Jack rightly says, probably the exception of, you know, your major tentpole events around the world and things that are extremely scarce, uh, which will only probably be becoming more scarce as things move behind paywalls. Got it. Let's jump to some, to some other meaty stuff that you've uh, you've waded into. It's no secret uh, media companies are under pressure against the, the genius and scale of the advertising oligopoly in Google and Facebook and increasingly Amazon. You talk about the importance of media diversity, but competitive forces, from at least from this standpoint, way down in the antipodes, is, is, is all about consolidation, Christian. So genuinely, can media and smaller scale media cut it against big tech? You, you've been on both sides. You've, seen, you've been in the belly of the beast. Um, can it really happen apart from the rhetorical hope? Well, I certainly, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, you know, I mean, just personally, I would say I think we all agree choice is better. Um, I think even Google and Facebook would tell you that choice is better. Um, you know, I think they enjoy their positions, but you know, likewise, um, you know, they definitely would like to see more alternatives in the marketplace. And how that looks and how that shapes out over time, I think, is going to be interesting. But I definitely think there's room. Not if it hits their revenue, though, Christian. They won't like it if it's a revenue hit. Yeah, I think there's plenty of room to grow. Look, I mean, what we're seeing is, you know, continued forecast for growth and advertising is significant. Um, and let's not forget, I mean, 
Google is a massively powerful company, and as is Facebook, but these companies have come up relatively recently, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things. And so I think that gives you thought that, you know, what is the next one coming about? You know, and you see good hope and good, really strong growth at, at companies are, you know, around the globe right now. And so I do believe that something else can gain traction quickly and can challenge and can create opportunity there. I think it's our job as Group M to bring these types of opportunities to our clients and generally have a spirit of, yes, we support diversity in this marketplace. And yes, you're getting great results from our partners at Google and Facebook, but let's also make sure that we're looking at everything else and let's put healthy budgets into other platforms to make sure that we're, we're reaching new audiences in interesting ways. And I think what's there the, is reason for optimism in that. What's the catalyst for, say, Group M doing that that more diverse uh, play out, though? What, does, what do you need and what do your clients need to be able to justify doing that more diverse, lower scale, higher touch, you know, um, less data, as you say, sort of position that maybe the, the smaller media companies don't have yet? Well, I think, look, consumers are curious, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many people. We know TikTok's getting really popular because now the, the people that I hang out with are on TikTok. Well, that's that's getting pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. Older, older parents and, uh, you know, people around. But I mean, if you look at something like that, it's good. So people are curious to begin with. And when people are curious, they're going to experiment with new platforms and new content providers and new formats. And that's great. You know, we encourage that. And that allows for different expression of advertising and different expression of brands. So for us, you know, that's that's a point that we've got to bring our clients together with and say, here's something interesting you should experiment with. And some of these things take off in, in an exceptionally linear way. So I think, you know, we've got to be aware of that. So that's positive for the advertising ecosystem. Certainly competitive pressure in these places is always a positive thing so that you've got an ability to shift dollars back and forth. I think one of the frustrations people felt when the boycott went on at Facebook a while back was that, you know, well, where do I go now? You know, and we found alternatives for them, but it wasn't as easy as we would have hoped to be able to move dollars away from Facebook into something else on a direct basis. So, you know, we need that leverage within the marketplace and I think everybody supports that. So, you know, I think it's positive there, it's positive for consumers, it's positive for the, the economics and, um, you know, ultimately choice is, is good for everybody. But the, the, the example you cite there, Christian, is another user-generated content uh, platform or social portal. I'm interested in, and, and I can see the logic and sort of spreading spreading the load that way. But what about when we start talking about content or professionally produced content or publishers or small publishers, whether that be video, text and beyond? I don't know if there's anything beyond that, but um, what what happens in that front? Because uh, UGC is is, is, is it is a technology play that doesn't require investment in content. Those that are trying to create content, uh, is there hope there or is it more more different UGC platforms you're talking about that will create that diversity? I think there's a lot of, of interesting places outside of just UGC. And I think, you know, when you're looking at UGC in and of itself, I mean, I would say some of the most popular things you're seeing on, on these platforms aren't necessarily UGC. And the way brands are interacting in those areas are interesting. I mean, they're platforms where... You, know, you have large-scale audiences, and brands are finding ways to interact in that. Um, and I think, you know, certainly there's an element of UGC on this. But if you get onto Twitter right now, you know, the, uh, most journalists are on Twitter. People are cultivating, getting their news from Twitter. And you know, I think that has spillover effects where you know it links out into professional journalism, professional you know articles, and and ways to support that 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 um, that ecosystem. Um, you know, and I think. The way you're starting to look at some of the major, certainly major U.S. media companies right now, you know, using their online platforms to actually spread and globalize at a rate that I don't think we've seen in a long time. 
Mm. And that's different. You know, when they don't have to come up with distribution rights and carriers and everything on a global basis, can just open up, you know, their online app or whatever it's going to be in order to gain access to their content. You know, that's incredibly scalable uh, new supply of video and entertainment that I think will will also provide opportunities for us on a global basis to connect brands and consumers. You talked, uh, you mentioned earlier about the digital, you know, the the hope for diversity in publishing and and media, uh, the ad market's still growing. The digital ad market's certainly still growing, but we also see that the share that Facebook and Google have of the digital ad market is also growing, sitting probably 60% plus. Um, So where is the peak? Is there a peak in the platform's dominance uh, in the digital ad market, Christian, uh, despite your you know your your optimism that um there is hope beyond is there a peak for these for these for these two particularly i mean i can't speak to where the peak is or if it's here or or coming or you know what we have exactly in it i think that um you know there is certainly an insatiable desire for video right now i think for uh, you know the ability to connect and i think you know as more platforms come into that space and more mature you know you'll see more competition rise and, and more people move over to it um, you know, when you look at what's happening right now in terms of consumer awareness, I think that people are demanding more from their platforms. They're more, demanding more around responsible journalism, protecting content, respecting independent journalism, giving credit back to the people who are spending, you know, time and time again doing what you're doing, which is professional journalism, fact-checked, and, you know, looking at things they can really sources that they can trust. And I think that as platforms evolve and look at that, that's going to be something they're going to have to consider in order to continue to create a trustworthy advertising environment. Uh, how much of Group M's energy, um, moving moving right along, thanks for that, but moving right along, how much of Group M's, I've got you for about 20 minutes left, Christian, so I'm going to make the most of it. How much of Group M's energy and income will be derived from tech and data services and tech vendors in the next few years versus media companies? Obviously, the businesses that you're in have for decades been hitched uh, hitched their britches to media owners, and that's where it's that's kind of been the focus. Tech and tech vendors, uh, what's the mix there? Is there is there a change in the revenue source? Well, when you say tech and tech vendors, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an assumption that what you're talking about more is you know Adobe and kind of that side and the marketing cloud and then Microsoft and Salesforce and these sort of areas. Um, because yes. when we look at Group M, obviously we have strong technology partnerships with Amazon and and Google and Facebook and across the board. Um, you know, in terms of their ad tech stack. So in those areas, you know, it's one of the, the beautiful things about working with WPP. We have a lot of sister agencies that are experts in those particular areas. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. We've already touched on a lot of it in, in the advertising specific space. And Group M is going to continue to push um, the boundaries in that particular area. I think when we get into things like CRM and you know, e-commerce and um, CX or experience design, you know, those are things that you know, I would definitely be working with um, you know, my talented peers at, at the MLYNR and Wonderman and you know, across the board to, uh, to create integrated solutions. And more and more, you're seeing that at WPP. You know, our, our pitches and our reviews are coming in at the WPP level to say, look, I'm really concerned about growth, period. You tell me what the best configuration of our agencies is to do that and what does that look like and how do I think about, you know, designing the perfect customer experience from, you know, brand awareness all the way down into loyalty and retention and how do I model that and where does media fit in with that, but also where does creativity fit in with that, where does global production fit in with that. Um, how do I think about commerce, owned media, you know, all these different areas. And, you know, those are becoming some of the most important clients that WPP has um, to be able to manage that across the board. 
And how are those historical turf wars going and breaking them down in, in, in amongst the, the WP units? Cause, and it's not just WPP, that's just organisational stuff, full stop, right? But the turf wars, uh, is, there, is there some sort of emerging secret source to facilitate beautiful collaboration? I think you just heard me say it. Hey, I, instead of me going out and trying to build anything I can to grow my revenue, I'm realising that I think for Group M, there's enough work to do and enough room for us to grow to continue our practice in, in advertising. And then I'm gonna work with John and Mel and the others to, to build larger scale enterprise relationships with our customers and work with each other. I think that in and of itself is a mindset. And I think when you look at what Mark's, Mark Reed has been able to build, it's a vastly different Exco than any other point in time. And we all share that spirit of collaboration and knowing that you know, at this point in time, with the amount of technology and skill sets that you have to build to be a successful marketer, we can't all chase the same prize. So, you know, I think it's pretty evident across the board that we're working hard to, to be the best at what we do and, and partner with our sister companies um, for the best at what they do. What about measurement? You mentioned it earlier. It's never sexy, but always central to the marketing agenda. Um, we mentioned earlier some of your thoughts uh, around measurement. What are the most pressing areas for you and where you want to see material change and progress around metrics um, with your sort of your binary digital uh, skill set coming to the fore? Uh, what are those areas of measurement that uh, you think need most updating and, and, and reworking? Well, look, we've become really good at measuring reach and frequency and cost per acquisition. Um, you know, even if you look at going beyond that, we've seen, you know, people have adopted things like, you know, quality CPM. I think the problem is not everything's measurable at the level we'd like it to be. Um, there's certainly not enough comparative measurement capability across different media types and more work needs to be done there. And I think there's some exciting industry things going on to do that, but they're not all unified. Um, I think different partners have different Different media partners have different motivations for, um, and not always unself-interested, I suppose, for how they want things measured, and that's a problem for us. You know, and we spend a lot of time trying to create, you know, a universal API to all these different media partners to understand where media is really working. Um, you know, I think we've got to drive fraud out of the system across the board, and you know that all those things represent massive challenges to a fair and equitable measurement system. And then, you know, beyond that, so now you've measured everything, you know, the optimization piece of that and how quickly you can do that and how quickly you can move media is, is the secondary challenge behind that. I suspect our industry will look vastly different in the next five years because I think those problems are very solvable. And I think the more technology that we deploy into the ad serving side of this and into the supply side of this, um, you know, will allow us to create those, those APIs to to create some sort of common sense of measurement. Did you sort of hack or have proxies at Essence that allowed you to do that a little differently? Uh, and what did that look like? How did you do that? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned, I think we were one of the first ones to come up with that idea of a QCPM and, you know, the art in it was defining the Q. So we had clients that, you know, the Q was simply, it stood for quality in our sense, but, you know, the Q was a sale, that's it. They didn't care how they got there. But we have others that really right. cared deeply about, you know, the supply side of their media the ecosystem, brand safety, and you could put scores against all those things. And then if you could measure it, you, know, you could come back and actually give them a sense of what they're paying for, you know, per QCPM. And I think the industry has got to kind of embrace something like that and think about the things that are really driving awareness right now in the marketplace around sustainability, around DNI, around, you know, carbon neutrality, around sustainable journalism, around, you know, any, all these things that are in the space right now. Um, 
and you know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't give our, ourselves a little pat on the back for you know, Group M pulling us all together um, into our responsible investment framework, which we've really been you know, talking to every one of our clients about to say, look, if you look at this investment framework, we've got things like a data ethics compass that can talk about you know, the ethical use of data and how we deploy that. We've got a media inclusion initiative, which really looks at the supply side and saying, are we you know, really including all different types of media ownership companies within there and you know, providing opportunities there? We're looking at the net zero sustainability commitment that we've made to be completely scientifically based carbon neutral um, in the near future. And how do we put a score against all those different things? And it's a choice for our clients. They don't have to sign up for these things. You know, if they just want to say, hey, I just want the lowest cost per sale, that's obviously an option. But for a lot of our clients that are investing heavily in these areas themselves, you know, all of their partners are going to have to be able to sign up for this type of thing. And I think it's our job to bring them, you know, a responsible media framework that allows them to, to have assurances that, you know, they're buying media in the places that support their overall corporate vision. Well, it almost sounds with your um, your QCPM, your quality CPM, that it's a custom QCM in that it depends on what, what, how the client, how your client defines quality for them, is the definition of how you build a QCPM for the in, the individual firm. Is that am I way off the mark here? Or does it sound like essentially what happens? There won't be a sort of a global man. No, that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, here are the things we can measure. There's I'm going to make it up. You know, 86 different metrics we can score across. You tell us and we sit down with you and say, okay, what's most important to you on this? What aligns to your corporate values? What aligns ultimately to your consumer's expectation of you as a brand? And then how do we make sure that we're measuring against those particular things? And, you know, some brands have high tolerance, some brands have zero tolerance. And, you know, so for us, that's our ability to work across the gambit on a global basis with all types of different companies to say, we really want to make sure that we can set a goal for every single dollar that we spend with you, but we need to understand what that goal is going to be. And, you know, I think that's something that doesn't always doesn't always happen. How's that landing? How is that that whole notion around, you know, uh, environmental, social governance, social metrics being integrated into decisions for media placement? Um, are they, uh, of course, there's different clients, different mindsets, as you just mentioned. But overall, uh, what's the receptivity to this 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 crazy new world you're talking about? Well, let's just start with our employees. I mean, it resonates at home. I think that's the most important thing when we look at, you know, we are people based business still and. Um, you look at this industry and saying, is this a place that you would want your, your kids to work at? I mean, are you proud to tell your parents you work here? Uh-huh. And I think, you know, to me, that's the question I always ask myself. Is this something I want to tell my son Luke about? And, you know, for me, this it really brings a lot of purpose to the space. I think it brings a lot of purpose to what we're doing. I think it delivers on our mission of making advertising work better for people around the world. And I think we all know, and it's been around forever, but you know, we want to we want to make the advertising that matters and get rid of all the stuff that's wasted and pollutive and noisy. And, you know, I think this is a way that we can do that. And you fold those types of metrics into this and say, you know, we want every piece for advertising to earn its place in the world. You know, that's a nice objective. And we want it to do it in a sustainable way that is additive and, you know, not something that annoys and intrudes. And that's something people feel good about. And I think if our people feel good about it, our clients feel good about it. And if our clients feel good about it, Honestly, then their consumers are going to feel good about it, and it's advertising that works. Um, and that's really what got me excited to take the job at Group M to begin with, was the ability to do that. If I can do that at the largest media organization in the world... Well, there's, there's, uh, there's hope for the world, isn't there, really, if that can happen. Um, it's, no sm- it's no small task, Christian, to do that. Um, when you talk about you know, some putting through some of these new metrics and measurements around ESG and carbon footprint and social stuff, particularly around the, the, um, the net zero sort of idea, if you, do you see that Group M will be looking to 
push that through the supply chain, through the media supply chain, i.e. media vendors, tech vendors and so forth that you deal with? Will you push that down? Is that on behalf of clients to try and enforce it? Absolutely. And I should, you know, credit to the WPP team on this. I mean, it's really a WPP level commitment and Group M is probably in some ways one of the more challenging companies to deliver that commitment, but we did sign up for the same exact commitment. And yes, absolutely. We'll push it down to every single supplier vendor that WPP works with, including all of our media vendors within Group M. And so we're starting that process. And, you know, fortunately, most of our vendors are there as well with us. And so, you know, for those that aren't, we're talking about, well, how do we bring in the appropriate measurement systems? How do we look at this? But, you know, I'm sure you're going to ask me the next question, which is, well, if they don't do it, are you going to pull dollars? You could just do this Q&A yourself, couldn't you? But yes, that's exactly what I was going to ask. It's a good question. We'll certainly make the recommendation. I mean, I'm not sure we, you know, pull vendors necessarily, but, you know, we'll definitely make the recommendation to our clients and make sure that they know this vendor is not providing that level of assurance and we don't know what's happening behind the scenes and you advertise there at your own risk and we highly recommend you don't. And mm. you know, I have no problem doing that. And like I said, I don't think I'm going to be in that position. I mean, this is, it's good business. It's, um, it's the right thing to do. And across the board, when I've talked to all of our major media partners, they've said, yes, we'll sign up to the commitment with you. We have a plan. They're all trying to get there as well. I mean, this is something that affects all of us in the world very personally. And, mm. You know, I don't think anybody is sitting there saying, you know, we don't have a plan to try and, and do better in this space. Well, maybe you're going to tell me different, but I get how that can be enforced and deployed uh, in a, a, a carbon um, neutral sort of uh, program uh, through the supply chain. What happens when you start getting to those social fuzzy uh, metrics where it's, you know, it's got social responsibility and uh, privacy and all those things that might happen to, say, we talked about it before with with platforms like Facebook and Google, where, they're, you know, they're so vast, there's all sorts of things going on there. How do you enforce, um, or how do you think it will go when you've got a supply chain going, we want to see sort of adherence or compliance to certain social measurements, but uh, then that will require to walk the talk and take money off off the platforms to go somewhere else when, one, there may not be the choice, like you said earlier, there's not a lot of alternatives, and two, it can be so cheap and so effective that why would they give up um, a business uh, revenue stream for uh, an ideal? You know, going back over 10 years, Group M has been working with Facebook and Google and all of our media partners to say, our brands are concerned about this, we're concerned about this. How do we look at measurement? How do we bring in third-party measurement? How do we get some oversight on these platforms as they were becoming increasingly powerful back then to say, we want more audit rights. We want to see where this content's showing up. We want to see what you're doing to you know, prevent fraud and you know, onwards in, in, in a lot of different aspects of their businesses. And they've been great partners for us in that. Well, they, to be fair, they came kicking and screaming. They weren't that keen for a long time, Christian. Don't give them too much slack. Look, I, th- I really do believe that they are trying to do better. I think it is easy to underestimate the challenge of which they're dealing with. And don't forget for so long, you know, in, in fairness to their own credit or to their own benefit, I suppose I should say, you know, they really define themselves as software companies and technology companies, not any sort of ownership of content or responsibility for it. Oh, we love Section 230, don't we? Yes. So that has changed. I think, you know, you're seeing, you know, a, a vast change in position on that. And, you know, I think that's to the benefit of all. And I think, you know, as long as we see continued progress in these areas and they continue to put focus on it, you know, we're going to continue to work with them and recommend that our clients do as well. Um, you know, there's no perfect solution for these things. And, you know, we really are looking very closely at, at what they're doing. We're working very closely with them. Um, we're, you know, the number one buyer on both platforms. So, you know, we have a very close relationship and we will continue to work with them to try and solve the problem. Well, how much do you, how much do you spend with Google and Facebook um, respectively? What's the sort of the ballpark there? 
A fair amount. <laughs> Your politics next. President of the US, here we go. <laughs> but in, in the, between the two, what is it, one, two, three, four, five billion? Like what does it look like between the two? A big, broad range. I mean, you can do the math if you back it out. We do about $60 billion a year worldwide. So, you know, roughly half of that's in digital and, you know, about the breakdowns in, in those other platforms. Still on the metrics and measurement, we're seeing this huge interest, in, and we see it here with MI3. Anytime we do something on attention economy and attention layers that, you know, go over the top of planning uh, for CPMs and opportunity to see huge, huge, huge spikes in uh, in, in our audience on that front. Um, what, what do you think is um, around the attention stuff? Is that, is, that, is that a fad or is it the future? Well, look, we're always going to be looking for new measurement techniques. You know, I think attention measure, attention metrics are interesting. I think you really got to look at how they're derived, what the scientific basis is for them. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting aspect to fold into your overall measurement system. I wouldn't put everything onto it. Um, but I think, you know, we should be actively looking at, at all the different metrics that we can right now. And, you know, we've got a huge lab on this at, at, within Group M that is constantly looking at, you know, intent and emotional bias and all these types of things that we can go to try and create, you know, the understanding of, of intent and, you know, whether what that looks like. And this would certainly be part of that. A uh, question that you, you don't know is coming just out of interest. I ask a, a, a lot of people this. Um, do you know the origins of last click attribution? Who was responsible for last click? Got any ideas? Well, I would stand a reason that it was probably Google. You are good. That's why you're the CEO of Group M. Yes, not many people can answer that, right? And I, and I, it took me a while to sort of backtrack it, but it's a really interesting one. And that's another conversation we'll have another time, hopefully, Christian. But we're wrapping this up. Brand versus performance. Uh, do you want to weigh in on that that perpetually swinging industry debate, right? I mean, it's, we know it's not either or, it's both. It's the weighting of, of how you allocate. But I think you've got some thoughts on, on where that's uh, where that's headed to in the next uh, in, in the not-too-distant future. Obviously, we talked a little bit before this, and I think really what we were talking about is that the skill sets within performance media and the way we think about that and the way that's evolved kind of full funnel management and as traditional media that's been used for brand building, you know, has, has typically been the divide and the skill sets that are in there as traditional media moves more into digital platforms and is distributed that way. I think the skill sets that we've developed within performance media will move their way into what we traditionally call brand advertising. And so that's going to take some time because right now that's not digitized any at all in the, in the traditional area to begin with. Um, and the metrics are very different. So once you start to get sort of a homogeneous measurement system within there to begin with, you can then start to look at what the interplay is between sort of broad-based brand building and, and broad reach right there and how that's going to actually manifest itself into performance. I mean, your last question in terms of last click attribution, it, it almost belies this sort of point is that, you know, there isn't anything. You, you first learn about something somewhere, word of mouth, out of home, with the uh, television ad that you see and then gets in your brain and then you start looking through it and maybe you're searching for it, buying it. But we've got to find a way to link that all of that together so that each point starts to understand, you know, how they get their point of attribution for that. We'll get there. We're not there yet by a long shot. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, brand and performance have to come together. Um, you know, they're not that separate. And I think the only thing that's really kept them separate so far is people traditionally thought, I'll buy TV for brand-based advertising and then I'll use digital for my performance-based marketing. And then there's some big digital things that you can do that might be considered, you know, brand advertising. But, you know, you've seen clients still two separate teams and, you know, hiring performance agencies and then brand advertising agencies. I think that'll all get washed away in the coming years. Is anyone, who's closest to getting there or have you got an interesting example of, of a client or of a, of a brand uh, doing that or a, a, an example that comes to mind? It gets close or closer? Uh, I'm not going to give you a brand, but I will tell you that, 
even if you were a company last year, and there's a lot in the CPG space and automotive, um, that was maybe putting 5% of your budget into e-commerce and performance and sort of, you know, you supported the channel and retail, but, you know, kind of reluctantly sold things direct. You're probably now putting 20%, 25%, 50%. You have yeah. realized through this last 18 month window as, you know, consumers have embraced brands and direct, direct commerce that, you know, the opportunities and the insight that you gain through those processes about who your customers are and how they're buying from you and how they're using your products is so valuable um, that I don't think we have a single client out there that's not, you know, like I said, exponentially increasing in those particular areas, which again will drive, you know, these are great brand advertisers historically who are now learning commerce very, very quickly. So yeah. I think you're going to see, you know, a combination of those skill sets and thinking um, in a really exciting way going forward. I just wonder about, you know, I mean, this, this obviously this blend is coming of capability, but at the moment, to your point, you see lots of different swim lanes. You've got performance people that believe performance, you know, what uh, performance is the answer. What's the question? You've got brand people who go, brand's the answer. What's the question? Um, and they're both very different and they operate, to your point, very differently. Um, how do, even in an agency like yours with the skill sets you've got in performance and, and, and brand and planning and client side, how do you, there's almost an education process for both sides to appreciate the other. It's the old media creative punch up, right? Media agencies hated creative and vice versa for a whole bunch of legacy reasons. And so there's sort of a wall that sits between them. So, oh, is, is that observation fair at the moment about the swim lanes and, and, and capabilities? Um, well, I remember some of my fondest years were running creative agencies. So I, I don't think I have the... Uh... I didn't know that. You run creative agencies. Yeah, yeah. I did at one point in my career. Oh, well, you're an all-rounder then. That's rare, by the yeah, way. Actually, we did some fun TV commercials for uh, Microsoft back in the day. You know, I don't see that in my organization, to tell you the truth. I don't see this sort of, I'm going to stick in my swim lane and I'm afraid to do this. I think that, you know, the way we're training our people, the way we're moving people from agency to agency, practice to practice, the way we're creating, you know, shared services in the center, standardizing the way we do some really complicated things around the world. I really feel that, that Group M's in a place right now of strong collaboration, mutual respect, curiosity, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on a podcast with you, but I really do feel like people are are working together and and, and finding a way to to keep the client's goals in mind, and you know constantly trying and testing new things and figuring out new solutions. I'm going to let you go in in, in this after this final question, and it is the one that um, everyone will be busting to hear your thoughts on, Christian. Which is um, you've got uh, a new boss coming in, uh, in in Australia, New Zealand, with the ANZ unit for Group M, Amy Buchanan. What do you want to see from Amy of the Antipodes, and uh, apart from ch- chunky, chunky, chunky profit improvement, what what's the remit for Amy? You know, I just want to spend some time with Amy. I want to share our vision um, beyond what we've been able to do through this process. I think we're really excited about you know what she's done with her career so far. I think that you know we want to make sure that Group M is the number one um, you know group within Australia, and we've given her a wide remit to to take a look at what we're doing and create um, you know her own vision based upon the foundations of which we laid out for Group M globally. And I think you heard a lot of those first here, and there's a lot of things that are non-negotiable in there. But I think Amy's got you know wide authority to do what she thinks is right for the markets, which is sort of how you know Group M runs globally around the world. I mean, we we say here's the foundations, here's the capabilities that we're building. But ultimately, you have to adapt those um, on behalf of, of your clients and figure out what's going to win in those particular marketplaces. Um, Amy's got tremendous experience, tremendous relationships, and great knowledge of the space. Uh, and I'm really excited to work with her. 
it's a big a big appointment, Christian. It's got a lot of uh, most of the market, all the market uh, watching because um, it was kind of unexpected and, and and a big move. She's got a good reputation, so I guess on that um, you did mention that you want Group M uh, to be number one. It was once the untouchable powerhouse in this market, probably up until six seven years ago. Uh, then things started to change a little bit. Do you want it to return to the top spot in size and other things, or do you want do you want to be number one in scale again in this market in the Australian market? Well, like being number one in all the major markets around the world is important in terms of scale and providing price and value to our clients and access to the major partners. Um, I don't believe in being number one just for the sake of I want to wear a number one T-shirt, um, but I do believe in being number one in terms of being able to provide the value that we need to be able to provide to our clients. And we're there right now, in fairness. I mean, we're big enough that you know we have a seat at every single table and we can get the pricing power that we need. Um, you know, the goal for Amy is to really make sure that our proposition is you know, fit for purpose, that it's resonating with clients, that our people feel that um, it's the right place to work, that they can build their own careers there. And I think if we do those things right, market share will follow. Um, and I think, you know, those are the areas I expect her to dive into first. The Group M brand portfolio, is it going to stay? Is there any consolidation changes, mergers there? Or do you see, you know, the brand stable that you have now sticking, staying, sticking to the knitting? We're always changing. Who knows? You know, I, I, I think that um, we're... We're very, very fortunate to have so many strong brands within our portfolio. Um, you know, we're number one or number two in pretty much every market around the world, and that's a really enviable position for us. Um, and you know, I don't know. Like I said, Amy's got wide remit, and you know, we'll talk once she uh, gets her feet underneath her and figures out what we need. Oh, to that do. wasn't so much about the Australian market, more globally about the brands. I think you've got a plan in your top left-hand drawer. I can't see, and you're not going to tell me. So we'll have to come back on that one to wrap up, Christian. And I've got 30 seconds. Is the most progressive, impressive, or innovative thing you've seen in advertiser or advertisers do around the world in media and advertising at the moment? Is there is there one, something that stands out for you to go? That's good. You know, I'm just saying I was impressed by the Olympics, to tell you the truth. I know it got panned, you know, by a lot of folks and viewership yeah. was off, but it followed the general decline in most viewership trends on, on all live broadcasts right now. And I thought the way advertisers showed up on that was really good. I thought the way they did extensions leading, you know, past it and, and build up into it was really good. I thought, you know, a lot of great companies did some things around, you know, getting their television surrounded by assets that really supported it. Um, that, that was a great moment. And I think it was a great moment for the world to come together again um, in what's been a really tough tough time period. Christian Jewell, I'll let you go and reinvent your empire. Thanks for thanks for the time. Good conversation and um, look forward to sort of following up on, on a bunch of things down the track. Um, stay safe. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.